You're listening to Crosspoint Community Church in LaGrange, Texas podcast. To learn more about Crosspoint Community Church, including service times and how you can connect, please visit crosspointchurchtx.org. And so today we're going to look at the book of 3rd John, which is very, very short. And um, so I'm going to give you a little bit of background about who John is. He's one of the 12 disciples. Uh, known as an apostle, and he had a brother named James, and James was also a disciple. And James and John were known as the, known as the sons of thunder. They were intense guys. All right, so if you ever get the nickname thunder, that means that you don't enter a room quietly. You enter a room and you're noisy, right? So these are extrovert guys. These are strong guys, and the, they were part of the inner circle of Jesus. So you have James, John, and this other really quiet guy by the name of Peter. All right? So Peter, James, and John, three boisterous, outgoing guys who were part of the inner circle of Jesus. And as a part of the inner circle, they got to see the raising of Jairus' daughter from the dead to life, which would have been a cool moment. They also got to see the transfiguration where Moses, Jesus, and Elijah were together. They got to see that moment, which would have been a cool moment. And then they also got to be with Jesus at the very last moment of his ministry, when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he was saying, Father, if there's any other way other than this, take this cup from me. And they were there with him, and they fell asleep at one of the most important times. And so we get to see Jesus bringing these three guys in. They had a special relationship with Jesus. John was known as the one that Jesus loved. It was kind of a, a term that was coined, not because Jesus loved John more than others, but um, I think just John felt like he was more loved. Okay, And uh, one of those things that John got to experience was at the crucifixion of Jesus, John was there with Jesus' mother Mary and some other ladies. And so as Jesus was about to take his last breath, he looked out at John and he says, Listen, you are my brother. Would you please take my mother and receive her as your own mom and care for her? And so as church tradition and history tells us, John and Mary and his mother, they took care of each other and lived a long time. John lived almost to about 100 A.D., and he became the pastor of the church at Ephesus, but also kind of the leader of the area of Asia Minor. Do you remember last week when you got to see my muscles? That this was Israel, right? And then over here, um papa, um papa, over here is Asia Minor, okay? And so the Mediterranean Sea is here. Here's Asia Minor. Ephesus is right here. It's a major port city, all right? And so the gospel has moved from Jerusalem and has gone out over the last 40, 50 years, Asia Minor, and it's spreading. So imagine during the Roman time, during this period, there's a great amount of peace and there's a great amount of construction. So Herod the Great had constructed a lot of things, but also the Roman people had constructed roads and aqueducts and all this. So you could travel and you could get to all these places. And so here you have John in Asia Minor with this major port city in Ephesus. So stuff is coming in, but also it allows for the spread of the gospel. And in the city of Ephesus, John kind of has a school or a seminary of the disciple John. And he sends out traveling preachers from himself, from his school, as some of the other disciples, other other apostles do as well. And so there's the system 
of apostles and disciples in major areas, and they're sending traveling teachers to spread the gospel, to infuse the early church with doctrine that's orthodox because truth matters and truth is necessary. And most of the early Christians are either Jewish or they're coming out of a really crazy religious cult life. And so they're trying to figure out what does it look like to be a follower of Jesus in the first century when none of us have done it before. Okay, and so that's kind of the setting that John is writing into. And John in this, in second John and also in third John, his number one central thing that he's concerned about is that people know the truth and understand the truth and that Christians are known as people of the truth, that they live and walk and the reflection of their life is as people of the truth because it matters. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to turn to third John here in just a second. If not, it's going to be on the screen. People ask me quite a bit, what version do you read out of? I read out of the New Living Translation. Um, and if I don't read out of that, I'll tell you what I'm reading out of. But today we're reading out of the, the New Living. So one of the things that you're going to hear about in this book is th- these guys called Traveling Teachers. And again, there's the school of John, and he's sending them around. And it was, cons- it was very common for these traveling preachers to come into a city, and they would be received by someone or someone's in the church so that they could spend a week, they could spend two weeks, they could spend three weeks. Paul spent two years in some places teaching. And so these people, when they would come in, they wouldn't go to a, a hotel or to an inn. A hotel or an inn in those days was just a brothel. So you didn't want Christian teachers going to the inns. And so they had to be received into homes. And so as they received into homes, that means that costs that person something. If you have family come in, you count the cost. You realize, hey, my food budget's going to go up. My AC is going to go up. My water bill is going to go up, right? So the longer they stay, the more it impacts you. And so here, this is what's happening. As these traveling teachers are coming in, people are receiving them, and they're counting the cost. And some are saying, yes, come. And then others are saying, mm, no. And so here, John is talking about two different guys. One is Gaius who was known as generous and hospitable and were receiving people and would actually send them with money to continue on their travels whenever they would leave. And then there was this other guy by the name of Diotrephes who was known as a discouragement and would actually do anything he could possibly do to thwart the work of the gospel and particularly the work and ministry of John. All right? Here we go. Verse 1. This letter is from John the Elder. Now, again, as we know, he's disciple, apostle, But he hasn't really lived in that way for so long. He's actually, these people know him more, not as disciple and apostle. That may have originally got him in the door, but now they know him as their pastor. And so he uses pastoral language with them. He says, hey, this is Pastor John. I'm just kind of writing a note to you. And and, because these people have listened to John teach. He's visited them in the hospital. He's visited them at home. They've had meals together. They've hugged. They've had time together. And so he's personalizing this letter to his congregation. And again, but he's also talking to a larger group. He's talking to one guy, but he knows this is going to be read in other churches. This is a letter from John, the elder. I'm writing to Gaius, my dear friend, whom I love in the truth. Now, who is Gaius? We have no idea. Other than he's the guy that received the letter. But I think it's kind of cool. We talked about even with Philemon and some of these other ones. We don't necessarily know who they are outside of that little moment. But they're regular people that have had an impact for the gospel, that have an impact for the church, which is, should be confidence building for us. Is that little old us can make a mark for the gospel. 
living our life and sharing the gospel and doing the things that God has gifted us with able to do. And he says, hey, guys, you're my dear friend, and I love you in the truth. John's calling back to his gospel whenever he was re- recording Jesus, when Jesus said in John 14:6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There's an exclusiveness to the gospel. And John is drawing that back, and he's saying, listen, our relationship is built upon that truth. That's where our fellowship, so everything can be no joy, no peace, but we have a friendship based upon the truth of who Jesus is. So let's do a little stuff together. Two plus two equals four. All right, y'all are much better than the first service. They didn't, we had to like go back and hey, school's coming. Remember, two plus two equals four all of the time, right? Because if you turn in homework and two plus two equals five, what happens? It's wrong. So 2 plus 2 equals 4 is right all the time, therefore it is true. If you throw something up, it must come down, right? You remember that guy? Y'all seen how the schoolhouse rocks, okay? The apple falls, what? That is true. Why? Because every time you throw something up, it must come down. Gravity, as we know, is true. It's repeatable. It's true. A noun, for you English people, a noun is a person, place, or, yeah, all the English teachers last time were like our personal, you know, all this different stuff. But it's always true. It can't be, you know, anyway. Truth matters. Truth is always true. And so here John is setting up a distinctive and he wants his audience to know that true is always true. So Gaius, you and I are friends based upon a truth that cannot change. Jesus is the way, the life, the truth, and it's an exclusive truth. That means if Jesus is the way, the truth, the life, there is no other way to the Father except through me. And so John is telling Gaius and his audience that we have a relationship built on something that cannot shake, that cannot fade. Our relationship is built on something true that will always be true. And so for us, whenever we go anywhere around the world, anywhere around Fayette County, and you have a conversation with someone and you realize in that moment that you are believers in the truth, there's a depth of fellowship that you can have through Jesus. So whenever we talk about this deeper fellowship that we can have together, it's not based upon our strengths or our weaknesses or about who we are, but who Jesus is. And that our friendship and our fellowship is built on him because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. This is what John is drawing in. And he also says this word love is usually it's phileo, but here he's using the word agape, which means that we have a familial, sacrificial type of love. When I count the cost and think of you because of the truth of who Christ is and our fellowship and our bond, I'm willing to give my life for you. That's a deeper fellowship. That's our calling in the Christian church. It's going to count the cost that we're to have a deeper love and to be more generous, even more generous with each other. There's an author by the name of Christopher Hitchens who passed away actually a couple years ago. He's a well-known atheist uh, writer. He's written in Vogue and Vanity Fair and he's written books. And his best-known book is God is Not Great. And he provides 
in quotes, okay? Logical reasons against faith. Now, he doesn't talk about just Christianity. He includes all religions, all faiths, all right? So he has different things that he talks about. And he has some things that we should honestly deal with and talk about. But one time he was being interviewed by a pastor by the name of Marilyn Sewell. And Marilyn was beginning this interview, and she's a, a liberal Christian. And so she was talking with him, and so she kind of sets the stage before she asks a question. And she says, hey, Christopher, I want you to know this. I'm a liberal Christian, and I don't take the stories from the Scripture literally. I don't believe in the doctrine of atonement, which is that Jesus died for our sins, for example. Do you make a distinction between fundamental faith and a liberal religion? And here's what Hitchens, who's a well-known atheist, this is Hitchens grew up in the church. He and his brother grew up in the church. Christopher became an avid atheist. His brother is a pastor, okay? Hitchens replied this way, Well, I would say that if you don't believe that Jesus of Nazareth was the Christ, the Messiah, and that he rose again from the dead, and by his sacrifice our sins are forgiven, you're really not any, in any meaningful sense a Christian. Truth matters. So even an atheist can see the truth and say, hey, if you don't believe that, you can't proclaim to be a Christian. You can't fellowship together because truth matters. And our koinonia fellowship is based around that. Verse 2. So, dear friend, I hope all is well with you and that you are healthy in body as you are strong in the spirit. Now, healthy in body is this idea of walking in the path of health, of physical health, but then also strong in the body is continue to walking in, in the path of a strong soul. Now, whenever we think of soul, we think of kind of a container, but really what the soul is is the central nervous system to our entire body, to the way that we think, into our spiritual life. And so what John is saying is, I hope that you continue to walk in such a way, in a strong soul, that's a healthy soul, that's willing to receive life and spirit that is life-giving to you. The entire nervous central. He says, I want you to be strong in spirit. And some of the traveling teachers recently returned and made me very happy by telling me about your faithfulness and that you're living according to the truth. Because he's continually, day by day by day, living and being strong in the spirit, the fruits of that are his faithfulness and that he's living according to, that he's walking according to the truth. Verse 4, I could have no greater joy than to hear that my children are following the truth. He's using parent parental language. He sees his children and he sees that their fruits are that they're walking and living in the truth. I didn't ask my kids permission for this, but I'm going to use them as an illustration anyway, okay? Is both of my kids are adults. They may not know it yet. May not always act like it. Even I don't even always act like it. But they're adults. And it brings me no greater joy than to know that most of the time, my children are living out their lives in action through a strong spirit in accordance to the truth. And they are making decisions for themselves based upon the truth. And so that I believe, now I don't know all the ins and outs of their lives, right? But I believe that they will have, because they have decided 
that it's best to make and to live out life according to the gospel and to live according to the truths of the gospel, that they will have less pain, that they will have less shame, that they will have less regrets, that they will have less hang-ups, that they will have less whatever. Not because they're necessarily smarter, not because of whatever, it's because they have decided, they have seen that it is best to walk according to the truth, not just from my life and my wife's life, but from the lives of others that have influenced them. They're Sunday school teachers, they're school teachers, they're youth leaders, they're college group leaders that have said and shown and modeled for them that this is, if you live life according to the truth, it is freeing and you'll have less baggage. And that there are rewards and benefits to walking in the truth. And what does it look like as a parent to be able to say, listen, I've watched parents and grandparents walk into churches and stuff their ears with earplugs because the music's going to be louder than what they want. But they're happy to walk into a church behind their kids and their grandkids because their grandkids are hearing the truth and living out the truth. There's no greater joy than that. And here's that's what John is saying is listen, as a as a parent and a grandparent in the faith, he sees the children, he sees the grandchildren, the generations that their destiny and their legacy is being changed because of the gospel and they're they're living it out and living according to the truth and their spirit is growing in strength and that there's power and freedom in living in that way. Second part of verse five. Dear friend, you're being faithful to God when you care for the traveling teachers who pass through. Even though they're strangers to you, they have told the church here of your loving friendship. Please continue providing for such teachers in a manner that pleases God. For they are traveling for the Lord and they accept nothing from people who are not believers. So we ourselves should support them so we can be their partners as they teach the truth. So Gaius's reputation, Gaius's reputation is one of faithfulness and living in the truth. Gaius's reputation is one of hospitality and generosity. Let me ask you this question. If Christians do not support the gospel and the gospel work, who will? If we as Christians do not support the gospel and the gospel work, who will? With our time, with our talents, with our treasures, we are the ones that move forward. If we have been transformed for the gospel, we should count the cost and say it is worth the investment of our time, talents, and treasures to share with others. Of all of the things that we can invest in, there's no better investment than gospel work. And your generosity at Crosspoint and your time, talents, and treasures. You support ministries and churches all over the world. Did you know that? You support a orphanage in Zimbabwe, a Nishiro Caring Center, so 40 young men and women can have food and clothing and books and go to school and have an education and have a future. Not just any future, but a future in the gospel. That they're being cared for in love and share the gospel. And every single one of them at this point has said yes to Jesus and are moving forward in their life. And your gifts are a part of that. Vision Puerto Rico, we partner with. We've been there now 15, 16, 17. I don't even know how many times now. And we've done different things every time. And people come to Christ through VBS, through sports camps, through a new roof. Different things that we've been a part of, you've been a part of it, your gifts, your talents, your times, your treasures are a part of that. And it's changing lives in Puerto Rico. 
There's another ministry called Frontier Laborers for Christ that's in Thailand, which is in the 1040 window that we support. And you support pastor training. So people that come down from, from other countries that are closed countries, they find their way down at their own expense. They come to the school, and people like myself will teach through the book of Mark, and they'll have a year or year and a half worth of sermons because of that week or so that we're just saturated. They're sitting on the floor, and we're teaching for a week, hour after hour after hour, and then they go home and share the gospel. And then they come back a few months later, and then they come to Barefoot Doctor School, and doctors and nurses teach those same evangelists and pastors how to reset bones, the medicines to give when someone has cholera, when they have dysentery, and all the different things. And so they're sharing medical knowledge, but also at the same time, they're sharing the gospel. And we know that through healing some of those things, we heal the thing that matters most, which is their soul. Your gifts are a part of that. Around the United States and around the world, your money goes to church planting and church revitalization. Money also goes to disaster relief. We even have a team here that's a part of a disaster relief. There's a place back here you can see some trailers, and it says disaster relief. And so we send teams. Anytime there's a disaster, literally around the United States, we mud out, we chainsaw, we do all kinds of different things. Your money and your time and your talents go to that. Now, the guy that leaves it, he's kind of cantankerous. But it's fun. Cantankerous is one of his spiritual gifts. He knows it. Texas. Your money has an impact. Church planting, church revitalization, disaster relief, Fayette County, LaGrange. Even right now, there are people upstairs and around the building that are sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. All over. Nursing homes in Fayette County. You're giving your time, your talents, your treasures. Everywhere we go, we're giving and called to give and live to the mission. And it costs us something of our time, our talents, and our treasures. And if no one is going to support it, it has to be us to do it. Matthew 28, go and make disciples of all nations. Show me how much you love God by the way that you love your neighbor. Go to Jerusalem, go to Samaria, go to the ends of the earth. What can we do with our resources that would be better than gospel life change? At the end of life, when we think about all the investments we made, what better investment is there than that? All right, that's your bonus sermon. All right? Verse 9. So we go from generous Gaius to discouraging Diotrephes. I wrote to the church about this, but Diotrephes, who loves to be the leader or who loves to be the first, he always wants to be the one that there's an applause and that there's the the light on him, okay, refuses to have anything to do with us. When I come, I will report some of the things he is doing and the evil accusations he is making against us. Not only does he refuse to welcome the traveling teachers, he also tells others not to help them. And when they do help, he points them and pulls them out of the church. Diotrephes' heart motivation is about himself. Me, me, me. You remember that movie called Finding Nemo and there were those seagulls and what did they say? Mine, 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 mine. That's the heart motivation of Diotrephes. Diotrephes is mine, 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 mine. And Guy says over here, it's yours, it's yours, it's yours. Two different hearts. He was removing people from the church who'd helped. His character and his actions were not promoting the gospel, but his own kingdom and building up his own name. 
Matter of fact, he was doing some. If you've been around church, maybe you've heard of this. He was on a full-scale smear campaign where he was calling, emailing, Facebooking, having coffee and prayer requests to build a case for himself against John and the work that he was doing. Jesus even calls this murder, doesn't he? In Matthew chapter 5, verse 21, that if you say something about someone in such a way that it defames them so that when someone, when that person walks in the room, they think differently, negatively about them, that is murder. You've assassinated their character. And unfortunately, we do this quite a bit. We talk about other people so that we can feel good about ourselves. We email, we call, we say things so we can raise ourselves up and it pushes other people down. And it's just, it's the nature of humanity. Anytime that there's humans involved, there's a possibility for conflict. There's more than one person involved in a relationship, there's going to be conflict. Why? Because the other person is wrong. Because you're right. So they've got to be wrong. If you've been in any relationship for more than a week, there's been some conflict. If you've been married for more than a week, I think it's a honeymoon, right? That's a month. Once the moon has passed, there's going to be conflict. I'm even doing some premarital counseling with some couples right now. And I'm like, listen, that first month is going to be pretty good. And then all of a sudden you're going to be like, how come he does not put the toilet seat down when I told him? How come she doesn't have makeup on and look beautiful when we wake up in the morning? You know what I mean? All these different things. All this stuff kind of comes to head. Relationships and conflict happen. This is the human struggle. We're selfish. We have a tendency to keep that two-year-old mindset for all of life. We see a table of toys, and what do we do? Mine. Mine. And don't even play with them. We're too concerned with them. They're, they're my toys and no one can play with them instead of like, hey, listen, you have some, I have some, let's just put them together and mix it all together and have a great time. Too busy doing mine. We're coining fellowship. Just having people who can speak truth and love to us because they, we know that they love us. And because we know that, our ears and our hearts and our minds have a tendency to be more open. It doesn't mean it doesn't hurt. But that's coining a fellowship. In verse 11, dear friend, don't let this bad example, the example of diatrophies, influence you. Now that word bad example is literally to mimic or to create art. Because if you think about what artists do, what do they do? They mimic or they recreate what is already there. They recreate a landscape. They create a drawing and they're drawing a person or they're recreating a landscape that's already there. So they're mimicking. And so here John is saying, may the art of your life not be like Diotrephes' art. May the art of your life be like the art of Gaius or of John or of Paul who said, imitate me. Mimic me. Follow only what is good, literally what is holy. Remember that those who do good prove that they are God's children, and those who do evil prove that they do not know God. There's two words predominantly used in the the Scripture for know. One is gnosko, 
which we've talked about quite a bit, which is this idea of not just standing on the edge of the pool and saying, hey, this is what it looks like, this is your experience, but actually jumping into the swimming pool and going, whoo, it's cold, it's wet, it's whatever it may be. That's one. But here John uses the word for no for eyewitness, that you've been an eyewitness to an accident or to an experience, and you've experienced it in that way. And so he says, listen, so that you would know and have be an eyewitness experience to the gospel, that you'd be able to know the difference between good and evil. Here John is comparing Gaius, who's faithful and living in the truth, and generous and hospitable, and actively moving forward with the gospel in his life and in others, to diatrophies. Me, 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 me. Selfish. Not generous. Not a team player builder, but a character assassin. And then John just kind of slides in this little note. Hey, the guy that's bringing you the letter is an example for you to follow. Just if you think that you're alone in this gospel thing, Demetrius, the guy that's bringing you the letter, we all speak highly of him. That idea of speak highly is courtroom language. He's saying, listen, in the courtroom of life, Demetrius is a martyr. He's a witness, a positive witness for the gospel. He does, he speaks the truth. We ourselves can say the same for him. We know that we speak the truth. And we see him in the courtroom of life. We can speak the truth that he's a martyr for moving forward the truth, the gospel. A character study complete of Demetrius. He's someone that is for the gospel and moving it forward. He will literally count the cost and give his life and has given his life, his time, his talents, and treasures for the gospel. Gaius, Gaius. May he be an example and a brother in fellowship for you. Even in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 and following, Paul says it this way. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't. And literally that means it's not going to be on the screen. Literally that means then you will not not. It's a double negative, which is bad English but great Greek. Not not. So if you let yourself be guided by the Holy Spirit, then it's an impossibility. It's very difficult. You have to work hard to be doing the things the sinful nature craves. It doesn't feel that hard sometimes, does it? But Paul is saying, if the Holy Spirit has taken over residence with inside of your spirit, inside of your soul, and it is the central nervous body, and it's doing, you're allowing it to do its work, then you will not, not give in to the sinful desires because you will only crave the things of the Spirit. Because the sinful nature wants to do evil, which is the opposite of what the Spirit wants. But, verse 18 When you're directed by the Spirit, you're not under the obligation of the law. And when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. There's fruit. When you follow this one direction, there's fruit there. When you follow the other direction, verse 22, the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in your life. You've been in VBS or child Sunday school. You know them, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. For those who belong to Christ Jesus, their eyewitness experiences 
have nailed the passions and desires of the sinful nature of the cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. So here's how I imagine it. Hopefully this will help you. Any of y'all ever seen those child harnesses? You know what I'm talking about? They look like cool little backpacks, but they got a little leash kind of thing. We can talk about whether that's good parenting or not later, but, but it's a great illustration, okay? So usually the parents have them because they're concerned for their child's safety. They're at the airport or they're at a market or something like that, and the child could, they want to give their child some freedom, but they also don't want to lose them. We live in a evil days, right? We understand that. And so here they are, the child, you're in the airport, you're in the market, you're whatever, and your child is on the, the leash, and they're going, they're experiencing things and all this different stuff. And guess what? When a child sometimes sees something that they want, what do they do? They go after it, right? Have you ever seen that happen where they're in an airport or something and they see it and they're like, and the child goes, boom, you have to check it for concussions later. But most of the time they have diapers, so their knees are protected from the wham. That's Galatians 5. God has harnessed. His children for our protection. And then he allows us freedom to go and to do those things that, that are in his direction by the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And we're enjoying the fruits and the benefits of life in him. But there's those moments where we're distracted as his children and we run the opposite way. Wham! Because he's a good father, he doesn't let us go fully where we can't go. But it still hurts. There's still pain, there's still discipline, there's still embarrassment, there's still shock. God, why don't you let me go all the way over here because I love you. You don't want to go over there. The guardrails of truth and love, you don't want to go over that guardrail because look, look, you can see the stuff, the dirt, the stench. You can see time after time people have said that they will be different and they've gone down and it's not different. And child, I don't want you to go there. But I want you to have freedom in Christ to experience life, your gifts, your talents, your uniqueness in me, and to experience all of that. Don't go there. So I harness you to bring you back because I want to love you. And even in your embarrassment, even in your pain, even in your shame, even in your regrets from running from me, I'm here and I will receive you and I will tend to your wounds because I'm your father. Gaius, the person of truth, and the fruit of your life is faithfulness and hospitality and generosity. And you're a teammate of the gospel. And Gaius, you have a friend in Demetrius who's a martyr, literally a testimony of faithfulness for the gospel. But do not follow the example of Diotrephes who's building up a case for his own kingdom at the expense of the kingdom of the king of kings and the lord of lords. Let me ask you this. Is your faith making a difference in you? Is there fruit? Is there fruit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control? Or is there fruit? 
You read the list. Not peace. Not joy. Not hope. Pain, shame, regret, hang-ups. What's the fruit? A tree produces fruit. What kind of tree? Are you growing in your generosity? Because of you've understood the expense at which God has given to us, have you grown in your generosity of your time, your talents, your treasures, to think about, of all the things that I can invest in, with my life and my time, this time that we have is very short. Now, I leave a legacy. Are you growing in generosity? God's given us a limited amount of time, a limited amount of resources, a limited amount of talents. But together, our little rock that we throw together can become a huge boulder. And have a massive influence for the gospel. And then finally, have you murdered anyone lately? Have you murdered anyone lately? Has your mouth said things about other people that's changed the perception of that person when they walk in a room? Probably, right? It's human nature. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your harness of love. Father, thank you that in freedom and in pursuit of the Holy Spirit, in pursuit of you, there's freedom, there's life. But, Father, also to know that on the other end of that, when we're distracted by our own things that can lead us to great harm and hurts, many times you stop it and let us go far enough, but not all the way there. Father, I pray that each one in this room, that the fruits of our faith and of our life, that as we live out the truth, that the fruits of our life are love, peace, joy, patience, that the fruits of our life are generosity and hospitality, that the fruits of our life are such that people are drawn to the gospel that's transforming us in such a way that we do life and love and think and treat people differently than the diatrophies of the world. Father, in the courtroom of life, may people see the way that we love and care and go, I, we are witnesses that your life has been transformed by the gospel. You are a different person because the gospel has gotten a hold of you. Father, thank you for your generosity with us. As your children. May we model that generosity as well. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us for the Cross Point Community Church Podcast. It is our prayer that this message was encouraging to you as you follow Jesus. For more about Cross Point Community Church, you can find us online at crosspointchurchtx.org. Have a great week.